16. You want to turn there? We're in our last study. This is our 10th look at the book of Judges as it pertains to Samson's life. I've entitled the series Wasted Potential because for all that he did, I just feel like Samson uh, cost himself so much in the ministry. There was so much more that could have been done. I think his ministry could have lasted much longer than 20 years like it did. Um, here's a guy who was born with a command from God. We see that back in chapter 13. He was born with a command from God to be a Nazarite for his entire life. He's going to deliver Israel, or was to deliver Israel, especially from their Philistine captors. And there is little doubt that God used Samson. Uh, We see several times where he used him. But the reality is that Samson's life was marked by a weakness of the flesh. Specifically, he had a problem with wicked women. And they were relationships, repeated relationships, that eventually cost him everything, including his his life. Last time we looked at this, it was the, the last two weeks, rather, it was Samson and Delilah. He's, bece- he's deceived by a woman that we noted loved money more than she loved him. It's interesting that the Bible says... Samson loved Delilah. It never says Delilah loved Samson. Never says that. She sells him out for 5,500 pieces of silver. Um, And we went through that story last week, how she tricked him into telling his secret. What was the secret? Well, the secret was God had given him power, and the visible uh, expression of that power was the length of his hair. His hair had never been cut. I imagine he, by the time he lost his hair, was probably 40 to 50 years old. So his hair was probably uh, pretty long. But she tricked him, and then she nagged him, and then she said, if you really loved me, you'd tell me. Well, he did, because he loved her. As wrong as the relationship was, the Bible says that Samson loved Delilah. His, His power, as I said a moment ago, and we don't want to lose sight of this, His power came from the Lord. His long hair was just a visible expression of that. There's a lot of guys have long hair today, but they can't pick up a city gate and carry it 38 miles north. They just can't do that. So the secret was God's power was on him. God's spirit rested on him for the work that he was called to do. But when he got his hair cut, when he betrayed that vow that he had made, God said, that's enough. And the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Samson. And the saddest part in there is up there where it says uh, he didn't know it. Remember that? That he wist not the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. What a tragedy. He was so used to operating in the flesh that he didn't know what it was to be operating in the spirit. So that visible symbol of his consecration of his vow was gone. Now his power is gone. Samson gets taken by the Philistine. The Bible says that they bind him, which they hadn't been able to do before. They put out his eyes and they put him grinding. The Bible says he's in a mill house and he's made to do the work of a slave. So here he is bound and blind and enslaved. And this once mighty judge of Israel is now a laughing stock to the Philistines. It's an, it's, it's an amazing and tragic ending to this life. I wrote that the verses at the end of his life remind us that God can restore the fallen, and that's going to be our focus tonight. I want you to see this, this topic of restoring the fallen 
when his children fall, and they do, we do, God can restore. The thing with Samson is, that, that stands out so much to us, is that his fall was, well, it was huge. It, it wasn't just a, a little white lie or something. He got mad at his, you know, he got mad at his mom and dad. His fall was, was great. His sin in our eyes was tragic. Somebody said, I don't fail the Lord often, but when I do, it's a beauty. And that was true of Samson's life. He just lost it. Well, after a while, God said, that's enough. But the truth is this, and you know this, I mean, even in, even in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, as we like to call it, name after name in there, they failed in their faith. They're there because of their faith, but think about them. Abraham, he's listed in there. His son Isaac is listed in there. His son Jacob is listed in there, all in their marks of faith. But if we go back to Genesis and read their story, what do we find? Abraham lacks faith in God, so he lies about his relationship with Sarah. His son does the exact same thing. Isaac lacks faith in God to protect him, so he lies about his relationship with Rebekah. And then there's Jacob. Jacob lies to his father. There's no faith for God to protect him, and he flees from his brother Esau. Moses is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, and his, his faith, the faith of his parents, and then the faith of Moses. Moses killed a guy and then fled, fled the scene, to put it in modern-day vernacular. So I put on your worksheet this, that the successful Christian is not one who never fails, but one who, when they fail, follows God's steps to receive cleansing and forgiveness and restoration And tonight we're going to see Samson's restoration. Does he come all the way back and everything's made wonderful again? No. But what we do see is the beginning of restoration. And church, what we can't do is let sin come into our lives and knock us sideways. And so how many many do you know where they got away from the Lord and instead of responding to God's invitation to come and confess their sins so he can faithfully and justly forgive them of their sins, instead of that, they just continue to continue, to continue, to go away from the Lord. Well, this was Samson. But at the end of his life, we see some things coming back. It all begins in chapter number 16 and verse number 22. He is in the grinding house. He is blind. He's doing the work of the slave. And chapter 16 and verse 22 says, How be it, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. The picture that was drawn for us is they shaved him bald. They didn't just cut his hair. They cut his hair off. He was shaved. It was, it was absolutely gone. But then you get this, this transitional verse, number 22. His hair started to grow. Now that should speak something to we who know his, we, we who know his story. His hair started growing again. Well, it's not just his hair that's growing But for the first time in a long time, we're going to read another prayer of Samson. It's been a long time since he's prayed. At least that's that's recorded in scripture. We haven't heard him pray for a long time. The last time he prayed was when he prayed for water to come out of the jawbone of that ass. That's the last time he's not prayed since, at least in scripture. And perhaps 20 years has passed. But he's going to pray here tonight. Let's look at this. This is a, a simple outline tonight. Um, this period that we're going to read about from verse 21 that takes us all the way down to, uh, to verse 31, the end of the chapter. And let's read about this. First of all, I want you to know this. 
that it was a time of restoration, a time of restoration. That, that verse that we just read, howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. That's the Holy Spirit's way of saying we're about to turn, we're about to turn a corner here on this. We find him blind and we find him grinding and we're doing the work of the slave and all of this, but his hair started to grow. Now, we've been following him since chapter 13, so we know, oh, well, something's about to change then. And it is. It certainly is. It was a time of restoration. Let's talk about this restoration that's coming for him. The first thing is the power in the restoration. Time is passing. His hair is growing back. And the symbol of his, and, and that's the symbol of his vow as a Nazarite. And I want to repeat this because too often, and we do this, we're, t- we're doing a terrible disservice to our children when we teach the story of Samson and we say that his strength was in his hair. So I'll repeat this, that his power did not come from his hair. His power came from God. The hair is just an outward reflection of that. This regrowth of his hair, it's symbolizing that special fellowship that is coming back between Samson and the Lord. And it, I think it shows this. I think it shows the truth that God's not done with him yet. God's going to use him in a limited capacity, but God's going to accomplish something through him. God's grace had allowed him to live long enough in captivity so that his hair is growing back. God's going to do something uh, in, in this. Um, there's a good example of restoration. When we talk about restoration, we're talking about a Christian who sins and is convicted and confesses that sin and is forgiven, and then the process of restoration begins. There's a great example of that, and we're not going to turn there, but it's a New Testament church example, and the story begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with this man who is having an illicit ref- uh, affair with his stepmother. You remember this? Paul said, take 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 1, and then verses 4 and 5. This man, take him, Paul says, put him out of the church, discipline him, separate him because that sin is going to do a tragic thing in your church. You can't tolerate that in church. Set him out. So they do. Then you could write down uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Because a wonderful thing happens in the year between 1 and 2 Corinthians being written. That, that man responds to that, he responds to that discipline. That process of restoration. Do you remember Galatians 6.1 says, If a man be taken in fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. It's a process. And over the course of the year, between 1 and 2 Corinthians, that man apparently made confession to the church and confessed his sins and was forgiven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's talking about that man. He says, bring him back into the fellowship. We don't want to run him off. We don't want to overwhelm him with rejection. He's repented. Bring him back. It's a great picture of how restoration is supposed to work in a church. There's a process here. There was a year in that man's life, in, in the Corinthian church. So we're going we're gonna to look, first of all, at the power of restoration. The power of it is it brings a person back into fellowship with God. Thank the Lord for that. Then there are the principles in restoration. How do we know that Samson is being restored? How do, how do we know that's happening? Verse 22 says his hair is coming back. What do you know about the growth of your hair? Well, you know it's a process. 
That's what restoration is. His hair grew back, but that was a process, and it's a gradual process. I don't know how long his hair was. Do you? I, how, I, I imagine originally his hair was very long and thick, but I don't know how long it was when it comes back in verse number 22. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we know that his long hair was the symbol of his strength. I do my little thing. Human hair grows one-eighth of, on the average, one-eighth of an inch per week. So to grow six inches, you'd need about a year. Uh, if, I, if I go more than two weeks like this, I start looking like a chia pet. So about every two weeks, I go over here to Great Clips, take my little coupon in there, and tell her one and a half guard all over. If I go much more than that, honestly, it, it just starts getting out of control. But about an eighth of an inch every week. Well, Samson hair, Samson's hair is growing, and it was long hair that symbolized God's power on him. So I, I believe Samson was probably in this situation that he was in for a while. I don't think it was a month or two. I think he was in this captivity for a while. A significant amount of time passes here. And as, as I said a moment ago, restoration takes time. 1 Corinthians was written about a year before 2 Corinthians was. In 1 Corinthians back here, Paul is saying, put this man out of the church. It's a year later when he says, okay, bring him back. Restoration takes some time. So let's make some observations about this. Uh, let's make some observations about restoration, okay? And, and keep this in mind. Um, I, whenever I meet with, with people that come to our church, uh, we talk about the fact that we practice church discipline at Faith Baptist Church. I want people to know that. The goal is not to kick people out of the church. The goal is to restore them to Christ. Restore such an one, Paul says. But that takes time, and it takes process. There's four or five principles I just want to go over. Principles of restoration when we're dealing with God's children. Here's the first one. Most moral failures are the culmination of a pattern of disobedience. Most moral failures are the culmination of a pattern of disobedience. As a result, time is required to replace the bad habits with the good habits. Most guys just don't go out and have an affair with this woman. And most women don't go out just just out of the blue have an affair with this man. Something has been going on leading up to a culminative sin. There's a process there. If you have the opportunity to talk to that person, they'll tell you, well, things haven't been good at home, and it's been years, or it's been months, or something, or I got messed up in pornography. There's a pattern here somewhere. And then all of a sudden, we're we're knocked sideways. Well, they they ran off together. That just didn't happen overnight. Because that happens as a as the result of a pattern, then when you're talking about restoration, time is required to replace those bad habits with the good habits, to change the way our mind thinks. The second principle is this. If the sin is public, restoration is possible, but it's gradual. If that sin is a betrayal of trust, let's say to a church family, Restoration is absolutely possible because God wouldn't tell us to resource such a one if it wasn't possible to do that, but it's gradual. Why is that, Pastor? Look at it like this. Forgiveness comes in an instant. 
I ask you to forgive me. If you're Christ-like, you will. I ask, uh, you ask me to forgive you, and if I'm Christ-like, I will. And that forgiveness is instantly given. But restoration is not an act. Restoration is a process. Forgiveness is an act. Restoration is a process. It takes time to earn back the trust of one. Some of you who are parents, if you have been uh, betrayed in disobedience by your children, uh, let's say your son or daughter gets to be 16 or 17 years old. They've taken the car out. You said be back by this time, and they show up 45 minutes late. They betrayed your trust. Tomorrow night, when they ask you to take the car, what are the chances of them taking out? In our house, it's zero. My kids violate that? Sorry. Why? I forgive you for being 45 minutes late, but I'm not going to trust you to take the car out tomorrow night. That's not going to happen. That trust has to be rebuilt. I want to restore them. That's a process. Sin causes pain. It causes hurt. It causes distrust. So restoration is a process. It's gradual. Here's the third one. Though sin may be forgiven by God and by others, not all consequences of sin are canceled. I believe that God forgave Samson. I think something happened here, and I have to assume that. I'm telling you right now, it's not in the scripture. I'm just assuming that God forgave Samson because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Samson makes a request to God in this text, and God answers that prayer. So somewhere along the line, Samson had been forgiven by God for this. But that doesn't mean that he got his eyesight back, and it doesn't mean he was freed from his slavery. So sin may be forgiven by God, but not all consequences of sin are canceled. His hair's growing back, but his eyesight's not coming back. While relationships with God and others may be restored, regret, guilt, loss of peace may be struggled with by the sinner for a while. Help them with that. Sinners who, Christians who get um, overtaken in sin, sometimes the guilt can be overwhelming. Reassure that brother or sister in Christ that if, if they've asked God to forgive them, he has. It's Satan that's pressing them with guilt. It's Satan that's pressing them with the loss of peace. That's not God's spirit. God's spirit says, welcome home. But there are those things that linger, aren't there? Even after we've been forgiven, uh, we'll ask ourselves, what was, I, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Well, because some biblical principles are too. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, we will reap what we sow. The, the, the context of Galatians chapter 6 on reaping and sowing, it's a positive context. It's not threatening at all. But that works both ways. So good things reap good things. So bad things reap bad things. And that's what Samson is doing here. Proverbs 13, 15 says that the way of the transgressor is hard. And that's what, that's what Samson's demonstrating. That although we may be forgiven and we may be restored, not all of sin's consequences are taken away. That's some of those scars that we deal with. The last principle is this. While Samson was restored, there was limitation on his service. He was limited in what he could do. Uh, it's possible to commit sins that disqualify us from certain ministries. There are certain, there are certain requirements that are expected of your pastor. That's expected of your deacons. 
and to commit sins and violate those things disqualifies. You say, well, that's hard. What, what about forgiveness? Yeah, God forgives. But there are qualifications that God has for those in leadership. There are certain things you can't, you can't do if this, past, if this has taken place in your past. If you've sinned against God like this, it just works out this way. Samson was a mighty man. He was used greatly of God. What he's going to do at the end of his life does accomplish what God set forth for him to do, but, man, it wasn't really the way God had him to do. God, God would have had him do it had Samson not messed up his life. He disqualified himself. So keep this in mind that our sin can sometimes keep us limited in our service to God. Samson's story, I don't, I don't know if I left this on your worksheet I should have. Samson's story should make us want to avoid sin at all costs. Take any steps you have to to avoid committing sin and getting bound by it. Uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 14 tells us, make not provision for the flesh. Avoid that. Another place says, neither give place to the devil. Don't don't crack the door. If he's he's knocking at the door, don't Don't crack it to see who's there. You know who's there, and he's up to no good, no matter what he's promising. So do whatever you can to avoid sin. God offers a great restoration when we come to him. This verse isn't as well known as the third verse of Jeremiah 33, but Jeremiah 33, 8 says, God talks about if his people will come and repent. Listen to what God says his response is. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. All their, all their iniquity, all their iniquities, their sin and their sins. God says, I'll forgive all of them. All they have to do is come back. This is a great restoration that's being, being offered. So it was a time of restoration. But secondly, I want you to see it's also a time of reproach. And this is what hurts. Verse 22 says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. You're thinking, well, good for Samson. I'm glad that's coming back. But verse 23 says, Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them uh, together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. Others having a party. No, it's for a specific purpose. Look at the purpose of this party. For they said, our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised, when they saw that God, they praised him. They praised their God. For they said, our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. So Samson is brought into the temple of the Philistines' God. And if you've studied the Philistines at all, or you've, you've heard about them before, you know that their God is, is a fish God. From the waist up, he looks like a man. From the waist down, he looks like a fish. The, the Philistines uh, lived where all of this is taking place over in Israel today. The Gaza Strip, Ashkelon, Ashdod, all those cities that you're hearing about in the news, those are three of the five cities that the Philistines used as capitals. So they had a very large fishing industry in the Philistine culture. So their god, the fish god, 
got a lot of praise and a lot of sacrifice made to him so that he would bless their, their fishing industry. But he was not just the God of their fishing industry. He was their God, period. And it was that God, little g God, that they praised for giving them victory over, over Samson. Let's look at two reproaches here. First is, first is the reproach in honoring Dagon. Verse 24 says it plainly. They're honoring, they're honoring their God because they gave, uh, they gave him credit for the victory. He's the one that helped us win. Samson lived this sinful lifestyle. I'm sure he never thought he'd be captured, never thought he'd be, have his eyes put out and be made enslaved. But I doubt very seriously he ever thought that his lifestyle would cause him to so greatly dishonor his God. And most of the time, well, I would say, I would even go so far to say all of the time. When you and I choose to sin, and we do, the last thing on our minds is, well, I hope this doesn't dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't think that through. Samson wasn't thinking that. Samson learned an important lesson, and here's the lesson. When we sin, we experience terrible consequences, and we do. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. But our sin always reflects badly on the name of God. When a Christian is taken in sin, and when that sin gets found out, it always ends up bad for the name of Jesus Christ. Samson could have cared less about that. We mentioned this, I think it was last week in our Samson study, wasn't it? We talked about why David was punished, why that little baby born to David and Bathsheba died. It wasn't because of murder, it wasn't because of adultery, but because thou hast given the enemies of the Lord reason to blaspheme, the child that is born unto thee shall not live. That was a terrible cost. What we do has the potential to honor God or dishonor God. Christians, we have to be so careful. There, there, there is, uh, what is it, Proverbs 22, 1, that says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We choose to have the testimony we have by the way we live our lives. Believers belong to the Lord, and we should do all we can to honor him, avoiding all that dishonors him. Do all we can to honor him, avoiding all that dishonors him. Can I just read without comment? Hopefully, let me read five or six passages of scripture that tell us as Christians how importantly God takes his name and his reputation. All right. You can write these down. We'll go quickly here. First Timothy six one. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That's for the Christian employee. Titus chapter two, verses three through five for godly women. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. We know that the Lord, uh, we who know the Lord should live lives that speak well of him. 
First Peter tells us why. We're to be holy because he's holy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, and what, is, what does conversation mean? Our lifestyle, the, the manner of life which we live. Let our overall lifestyle, what? Be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Same book, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. All of these things are telling us, don't let the name of God be reproached by how you live your life. And Samson proves the potential that is in every one of us to do just that. We mess up our lives and God does not get the honor. Who's getting the honor in in Judges 16 here? A God that doesn't even exist. An idol. One that Isaiah later is going to say has no ears to hear, eyes to see, or hands to help. And yet he's credited with with this victory. So there is the reproach in honoring Dagon. And then there's another reproach here, and that's for the believer, the reproach in humiliating Samson. Is that not sad in verse number 25? Read read that about Samson. When their hearts were merry, they're drunk. They said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. That word sport means to rejoice, to celebrate, to laugh, to mock. Let's bring Samson in here. We're going, to have a, we're going to have a good time. We're already having a party. Let's have some entertainment. They're, they're in this drunken state, and they have absolutely now no reason to fear Samson. He's not an undefeatable foe. He's not this mighty judge. He is a blind, weak slave that they have complete control over, or so they think. But they don't fear him at all. This Samson had been, and, and they say it in here, He had been a thorn in their side for 20 years. They said, this was the guy who was a scourge to our country. He's killed many of our brethren. Bring him in here. He's going to to be the the cause of our laughter. That had to be humiliating for Samson. I I mean, we know Samson was fleshly. And if we'll admit it, there are times we're fleshly. If you could do, men, let's, let's just say the men. Let's just wrangle the men. If you could do what Samson could do, pre-haircut, would you not have a bit of a swagger when you walk downtown Gaza? You're not going to, you want to go out at midnight in the bad part, in the bad part of Gaza? Go ahead, because nobody's going to mess with you. They're not going to do it. How humiliated do you think Samson is now? That swagger is gone. That cockiness is gone. Confidence is gone. Everything about him has been taken away. This fearsome warrior, he's a clown. They are laughing at him. Bring him in here and let him make us sport. And the Bible says, and he made them sport. That doesn't mean he danced a jig. That just means all they had to do is put him up there. Eyes gone out. 
half naked, not being fed. He was a cause of laughter to them. But I want you to see Samson in another light here because this is a good warning for us. That's what sin brings us to. Sin promises a lot, but sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death, the scripture says. It will never deliver what it promises. And this is what it did for Samson. It ruined his life. He is brought so low. He's so humiliated. The Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 43, Many times did God deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Well, Samson's brought low here. Ecclesiastes 10.18 says, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. Isn't that a pretty picturesque thing there? You know what happens sometimes in my Christian life? I get careless or I get lazy. The Bible teaches against that. The Bible will say things like, I'd keep your heart with all diligence if I were you. I, I would put a guard out there and have that guard. Be, be sober. Be vigilant. Because you're adversary of the devil. But you know what happens in our Christian life sometimes? We get lazy. And we're not on guard. And sin slips in. And once it's in, it's like rabbits. It just, it just produces and produces. This, this draws the picture of the lazy Christian like being a house that's neglected and it's not kept up. Eventually, the, the end of Ecclesiastes 10, it says, the house just drops through. It just, it just collapses. If we're not careful and sin comes in, the house will collapse. The house will collapse. We have to be so careful. It was, it was th- this reproach of Samson's humiliation, but that's where sin takes us. Satan's not interested in you having a good time. The good time Satan promises you has as its goal your destruction and my destruction. The end goal is not a good time. This is the end goal. Where Samson is at now, this is the end goal for sin. It's not the good times he's having with all these different women. It's not the good time he's having at the wine feasts or the gambling, the little riddle he plays with those guys back and forth, and he's toying with sinners. That's not, that's not the end. That's the means to the end. What's the end? That adversary's, that adversary's out to destroy you like a roaring lion. That's the end. And that's what's going on here with Samson. So you have, first of all, a time of restoration. His hair's starting to grow back. We're seeing some hope. But it's also a time of reproach. And finally, it's a time of retaliation. That's the third one, a time of retaliation. You see in verses 26 and 27 and 28... You see Samson's desire. Look in verse 20. He's, he's, he's up there and he's between the pillars. He just That's where he ended up. Apparently that was a very evident place for him to be. And verse 26 says, Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. All the lords. So... All five of the lords, all through this book, it's been telling us there's five lords of the Philistines. They're the kings of the Philistines. They're there. Men and women, Philistines, there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. Samson called unto the Lord. There's, there comes that prayer. 
Samson's desire, it's not hid, really, is it? When he talks to this kid, I imagine this kid is pretty young because he totally misses it. But did you see what Samson said? He could have said, would you just take me over there by the pillars? Let me feel them. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, there's no intent being hidden here. Take me to where I can feel the pillars where on the house the house standeth. He's not trying to hide what's going on here. Take me to the two load-bearing, structurally important pillars. Put me next to them so I can lean on them. There is nothing about his intent being hidden. So I think this kid might be 10, 12, 13 years old, but he doesn't have a clue what Samson's doing. Samson is not hiding his desire here at all. Samson is a good picture of us. Like I said a moment ago, he's not prayed for a long time. And you know what is not on my mind when I'm in a backslidden state? Talking to my Heavenly Father. That's one of the first... In fact, when sin creeps in, do you find that to be true? One of the first things to go, you might read your Bible for a little bit, but you don't pray. And then pretty soon you're not reading your Bible. But at least that's how it is with me. If I'm going to get out of... If I'm going to get out of habit, the first thing to go is, I'm I'm not going to talk to my... my my heavenly father. That was true when I was a kid. If there was something going on and I was trying to hide something from mom and dad, guess who I didn't want to talk to? Mom and dad. I might do other things. I might show up. I might take the trash out when I'm supposed to or something, but I really wasn't looking for a conversation with my dad and mom. And that's how it is with the Lord. And Samson hasn't been. Samson's desire here, I think he's looking to come back. Seeking The Lord is the only way to restoration. He realizes where he's at. He's had all this sin. At some point, as I said a moment ago, I think he has asked God to forgive him because he makes this prayer in verse 28, and God's going to answer that prayer. Pause right here before we go on in our outline and ask yourself this. Am I harboring any unconfessed, unforgiven sin? Is there something between me and the Lord that I should address. Because I'll I'll just say this, if there is, it will be easy for another one to become unconfessed. And then another, and then another. Uh, When I was a a teenager, my youth pastor used to say, you need to work on keeping a short sin account. You ever heard that? It's because once you get one, it's easy to get more unconfessed sins. So ask yourself, am I harboring unconfessed sins? or unforgiven sin. Those around me may think I'm doing fine. Spiritually, I'm doing fine. But inside, I know that I'm not as close to God as I used to be. That's one way to check your, your, your spiritual status. And I hate this question because it's, it gets me. I don't know if it gets you, but I hate the question. Has there ever been a time in my life when I was closer to God than I am right now? If there is... I'm backslidden. I hate that question because it forces me to confess. There was a time I was closer to God than I am right now. So what am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Samson ends up in in tragedy before it finally dawns on him. This is destroyed. My My life is an absolute mess. Well, we're not very far from Samson. We like to think we're better than this, but we're not. Such as is common to man. That includes our flesh and our sin nature. So I think God has forgiven Samson. God forgave David. 
Do you remember what Nathan told David? God's heard your prayer. He's forgiven you. Consequences still there, but God's forgiven you. He forgave Peter. I, I put that note on your worksheet. Your sin does not have to define you for the rest of your life. You can be forgiven and you can be restored and I can be forgiven and be, re- be restored. God has a way of, of taking us as his children when we've fallen and he forgives us and we allow him to use that process of restoration and he makes us a trophy of his grace. And he can display us not for our goodness but for his grace and say, this is what I want to do for you. Look at his life. Look at her life. Samson could have been that. His desire, I think, was to come back because he starts in verse number 28. He called unto the Lord. Samson's Samson's deed here is, is what happens next. Look at verse 28. We'll read the rest of that verse. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two uh, middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So there... Uh, So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Well, there's the deed. He asked to be put between these these pillars, and he was, and uh, they said they're standing. So you can picture this house, right? There's a roof, but there's an open hole in the roof, and they're looking down on Samson in the middle. The Bible says there's 3,000 people on this roof. How big is this building? 3,000 people standing on this roof. How big is that? Samson's down there in the, in the center ring, and he, the Bible says he grabs these things, and, uh, and they, they see him praying. Did they think that was a joke too, maybe? Look at him. He's calling out to his God. Look at him. Look at the blind guy. Look at the slave. He's, he's praying like something's going to happen. I wonder if they were still mocking and they were still laughing and making sport when that floor gave out from underneath them. The Bible says 3,000 people including the five lords of the Philistines, all of them, they're dead. Here's Samson, and he asked God for help, and God answered Samson's prayer, and 3,000 plus Philistines are killed. Is that, this is a tough question now, isn't it? So is that God's will for Samson to commit suicide? Hmm. What was Samson's original, what was his original assignment even before he was born? You are to come into the nation of Israel. You are to hold to a Nazarite vow. In fact, the, the Bible tells, uh, or the Holy Spirit tells uh, uh, Samson's mother, she's to hold to the Nazarite vow. He's to be a Nazarite from the womb. And his purpose was to be a judge over Israel and deliver them from the Philistines. At the end of his life, Samson accomplished what God originally intended for him to do. But he didn't do it with the right motive and he didn't do it in the right way. God's will is never suicide. Suicide is a sin. It's not an unpardonable sin. The Roman Catholic Church teaches if you commit suicide, you can't go to heaven. 
or at least they used to. I don't know if they do now. Um, they have a way of morphing their doctrine. But it used to, if you committed suicide, uh, you couldn't go to heaven. It's not the unpardonable sin. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, regardless of how you die, you're going to heaven when you die. Samson committed suicide. Was that God's best plan for Samson? Not a chance. The end of his life is really where I got the, it's really where I got the title for our series, Wasted Potential. Have you ever wondered what God could have done with a man with, with Samson's abilities if he had been sold out to the Holy Spirit instead of his flesh? What could he have done? I mean, by his death, he killed more Philistines, more enemies of God than he did with his life. What could he have done if he had lived like God wanted him to? Well, Samson's desire was, I want to be, that's the weirdest thing too. He wanted to be avenged for his eyes. That, that, that's what, apparently that's what set him off the most, was they'd taken his eyes. And so he prays that he could bring the house down because he lost his sight. He's not all the way back. God's restoring him, but let's be honest, it's a process. He wasn't all the way back. Samson's death, that's the last thing, then we'll be done. Verse 31. In all this, Samson, this mighty judge, is killed. It says in verse 30 uh, that Samson died in all of this. Um, and verse 31 says, His brethren, then his brethren, and all the house of his father came down, took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. His family and his uh, maybe some friends, I don't know if these other men are relatives or not, but they come and maybe they had to dig him out of that rubble. Maybe they had to go find that broken, smashed body of, at the bottom of all of this thing. Even back then, and you know this today, when, it, when a Jew dies in Judaism, they want a proper burial and they want it quickly. And even then, it was important that this Jew got a proper burial in the family graveyard and they come to that. But I just think his death is such a tragedy. Our sins may not lead to events like Samson's life did. Maybe our sins aren't going to culminate in something this, this bad. But we are going to fall. We are going to sin. We are going to backslide. Hopefully, we'll seek the Lord in full repentance. Hopefully, we'll turn to him, we'll turn to him quicker than Samson did. Most of... Most of uh, uh, God's followers don't die in his service. Most of them don't. But Samson's death didn't have to come to this. Did God use him? He did. God's goal was to overthrow the Philistines at this point. God used him for it, but there's such a better way that Samson could have lived. And we ought to learn from that. We can't say, well, at least I did this. Yeah, but what if I, what if I had been more surrendered to God? What if Samson had lived better for him? What's the goal? Let, let me just ask you this. What's the goal that we want to hear Jesus say to us one day when we face him at the judgment seat of Christ? We want to hear our Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Have, have you considered that not every Christian is going to hear that at the end of their life? That's not a promise for every Christian. I don't know that Samson's going to hear that judgment seat day i i want to hear that though 
That ought to be our goal, to hear the Lord say, you did well with what time I gave you on the planet, with what resources I gave you on the planet, with the spiritual gifts that I entrusted to you when you got saved. You did well with them. Come and enjoy the kingdom. And then there will be those, won't there, according to Paul's letter, they're going to be saved, yet so as by fire. All right, come on in. I don't want to be that guy, do you? Here, this guy, well done. This lady gets well done. Come on in, Mark. I, I, I mean, you get heaven, yeah. Samson could have received a well done. I don't want to come up short at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know the whole purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is for Jesus to be able to reward his faithful? Your sins aren't going to be judged. They're, they're gone. The whole point of the judgment seat is to be able for God to reward his people. I don't want to come up short in that. I want to live my life in such a way that God is honored, that Jesus Christ is exalted, not dishonored. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let's close with two lessons, can we, from Samson's life, and then we're done for the night. We're done with this series. Lesson number one, it's obvious, and we've said it often, but we have to be reminded of this, that sin carries a devastatingly high price. Sin is costly. Christian, don't see how close you can be to the world without being worldly. I, just don't do it. It has such a devastatingly high price. Samson proves that again and again. And we choose to sin, and, when, and we do. I'd like to be able to say the devil made me do it, but he, he tempts me, but it's me that makes the choice to go. When we choose to sin, be prepared to pay heavy consequences, and there will be consequences for them. Lesson number two from Samson's life, sin doesn't have to rule my life. It doesn't have to rule. Before, I'm a child of the devil. I had a sin nature that had no checks and balances in it. But as a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit residing in me. And for the temptation that comes my way, the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go that way. Or do this, the Holy Spirit will say. Sin does not have to rule in your life. There's a place for repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Samson just gets to the beginning he just gets to the beginning of restoration without being fully restored. He, got, he was in the process. His hair started to grow again. God was answering his prayers again. But what a way to finish. I, I want to I encourage you with the same, the same observation or, or admonishment that we mentioned at the first study. There are those in the Bible that we are to emulate and then there are those in the Bible that we are just to learn from their bad example. Samson's that guy. Let his life be a big red flag. Avoid sin. Avoid the consequence. Choose righteousness. Nothing wrong with being holy in this world. It's hard to be godly in an ungodly world. But you can do it, and I can do it, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. Samson should have been fully restored, but he wasn't. He was in process, and I, I do believe we'll see Samson in heaven. Um, and we can learn from him here. 
We've got about three or four chapters. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 give us Samson's life. So maybe go back and read those four chapters this week just as a review. We've taken ten weeks now to span those four chapters. Go back and read those in an evening and get that whole picture of his life. And he's telling us, don't choose sin. Sin doesn't have to rule. It's just, it's just he, gave so much, he gave so much leeway to his flesh. But the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's, that'll be where we live. All right? You've been sitting for a while. Why don't you stand? We'll pray and be dismissed tonight. Good to see each of you here. God bless you and Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Father, we're thankful for everything that you put in your word. We're thankful for the examples you said. In fact, everything in the Old Testament happened for our example and our admonishment. So help us, Lord, to to learn from good and bad examples. And I look forward to meeting Samson one day, but we sure can learn from him now. And Lord, without your Holy Spirit's help, I'm going to walk the path he walked. I'm going to fulfill the lust of my flesh. And so I need your Holy Spirit Lord, to admonish and encourage and to guide, to chasten, and to help me to live in his power and not mine. And Lord, I pray that each of us that call this church our home would guard our testimony. We would, we would guard our ability to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to do anything that brings a reproach to you. You have been so good to us in saving us and sustaining us. Lord, help us to live lives fully surrendered to you. Bless these families represented here tonight. We pray that you take us home safely. Uh, We pray, Lord, that our lives this week would reflect the great work of salvation you've done in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, church.